three-week series on a Sunday. I usually do a lot of my series teachings on Wednesday, but I really felt God leading me this direction. And uh, the, the, the series is entitled, Does God Have a Plan for My Salvation? Does God have a plan for my salvation? And so anytime that you start to talk about the concept of salvation, sometimes people can get very defensive. Are you saying I'm not saved? What about my great-grandma? My church teaches this. I was raised this way. And so you start walking around, hopefully no one here is foolish enough to walk up to someone and say, you know what, you're going to hell, you're not saved. Um, if you are, God help you, that's not the right approach. I want you to know I never tell anybody that they, their great grandma, or anyone in their church is going to hell. Now, I am not someone who's going to say everyone's going to heaven and nobody's going, there's not, a, there's not an eternal place called hell or heaven. I'm not going to say that. But I'm not the one, thank God for myself and all of us, I'm not the one that puts us there. Because I would have already probably thrown myself there. I would have got so irritated at me for the way I act sometimes. I'm called to preach and teach his word, and I believe his word is clear on his plan for salvation. But the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I have a responsibility to look into my salvation and to work my salvation out. When I say work, doesn't mean I earn anything, but I have to make sure that I am working on me. And yet it also calls me to teach the world these truths and go in, to go into the world and make disciples. So I do have a responsibility to go teach people, train people, proclaim this beautiful message of the gospel. So I'm trying to do that. But walking around telling people that they are wrong is not the effective method. In Milwaukee, growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there was a man that drove around and had his SUV. No, it wasn't an SUV. It was a station wagon. Do they even make station wagons anymore? Why not? Those beautiful pieces of art. <laughs> Whoever owned a station wagon, raise your hand if you want. Come on now. There we go. I can't believe I'm old enough to be like, well, back then we didn't, like, I never wanted to be able to say those phrases, but... Me and my buddy sat in the back of my mom's station wagon. Ain't no seats, no seat belts, and we just survived. <laughs> I remember my grandpa had a little hatchback, and one time we were going out for a fish fry. In Wisconsin, everything on Friday night, any decent restaurant, from a bar to a restaurant, everybody has a fish fry on Friday night. Big thing. And it was a little hatchback. Me and my buddies had to sit like this the whole ride. <laughs> and then like that, just... And, uh, and you're like, some of you are like, that's what's wrong with you. <laughs> but telling someone you're wrong, this man in Milwaukee, he painted this station wagon and had a big megaphone. And he'd drive around and go, you're going to hell. God's coming back and he's going to rain destruction upon planet Earth. Which some of the things he might have even said might even be right. But the approach was just horrid. Just, I've, I never saw anybody walk up to his station wagon and go, it's a great message. I feel really convicted. What can I do to be saved? And so... I remember this, even if someone does not believe like you do, or if they have not experienced some of the things you have experienced, God is dealing with them. 
He is drawing them. If they're having conversations with you about religious things, don't take everything personal. It's not, well, well, you guys believe this. I guess I just don't believe that. Oh, you don't? I'll show you. This is not an argument to be won. If someone's asking you questions about theological things or salvation issues, then you need to go, wow, God is obviously working in their lives, and I just want to be a part of the journey. And so... He is drawing them. I use, a couple weeks ago, I, I touched on the topic of abortion, and I talked about Right to Life Sunday. I really think that the spiritual walk with God can be very much like the womb. That's why, after all, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime, he said, hey, and Jesus says, except a person's born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus gets confused. Well, what do you mean? How, how can I be born when I'm old? Do I go back in my mom's womb? How does this work? Jesus clarifies and says, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, if we're Bible believers, then we know, my goodness, I can't, I can't go to God's kingdom without water and spirit. So we better know what the water is and what the spirit is. And in this series, we're going to go ahead and look at that. And it's not through the lens of, oh, Pentecost, Baptist, Lutheran, Catholic. No, let's just look at the word of God. Let's just look at scripture, forget the taglines and the denominations and forget what the priest and pastor, deacon, pope, bishop, monk say. And let's just look at what God says. After all, Romans 3 says, God, let God be true and every man a liar. And so, you know what? I, I, I think, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. Well, guess what? I didn't die on the cross for you. So if I start to say things that contradict Scripture and I start leaving the Bible, you should probably go to a new church because you don't want to sit somewhere where someone's not teaching and preaching the Bible because the Bible is the only thing we can totally trust. And so... Uh, when someone, when there's life in the womb, as I talked about in that message, I believe wholeheartedly, I think science points to it, and I think scripture points to it, that there's life in the womb when there is conception. So there's life when there's that beating heart, there's development of, of blood and brain and all these things, so, but that child is not yet born. But there's life in the womb. When someone says, well, I've never followed God's plan for myself. You're talking about this water baptism stuff. You're talking about these spirit. You're talking about these things that God has for me, but I've never experienced those. So then for me to go, well, then you're obviously not a Christian. That's very foolish. Well, God doesn't hear your prayer. That's insanity. Because someone, even if they have not yet been born again, I believe that there is conception to where God can hear someone's prayer. God can answer their prayer. God can be drawing them. God could be calling them to a deeper commitment, a deeper place of commitment, consecration, of salvation. But they might not yet be born. We read about this in the book of, 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 of Acts. When a man, Cornelius, he's a just man. He prayed to God always, gave alms to the poor. He's a good guy. But God goes and reaches to him and sends him to him because why? He had more for him. Again, I'm not saying, oh, everybody just goes to heaven. No, what I am saying, though, is sometimes talking about abortion, talking about life, is if we're not careful, there's conception in the womb. The baby's not yet born. If we're not careful in someone's spiritual walk, there could be conception in their walk with God. And we come along and abort the baby before they're born. 
God could be calling someone to a new birth plan of salvation, of being born again, but our words could come off very derogatory towards someone till they go, forget you then if you're just looking down on my walk with God and my experience. Because I always try, I could talk to someone who is Islamic. And you know what? I would say that I and that Muslim are probably very different in our faith. But you know what I'll try and do is find some point of common interest. I know you might say, well, how in the world would you do that? Here's how I do that. Hey, let me tell you, one of the things that in Islam they can't stand is people talk about a co-equal, co-eternal, triune God. Let me tell you something. I also believe in one God. It's not Allah, though. It is Jesus Christ. And let me talk to you about some of, some of the things that I think we might have in common. We both believe in one God. And so I want to try and find where we have some common points of interest. I'm not going to just, no one likes to be walked up to and told, that's what you believe? You're wrong. Everything you've stood for all these years, might as well throw that in the trash. It ain't worth nothing. And they're going to go, wow, that's very encouraging. Can I come to your church? That's insane. And so, always remember to show compassion. Always respect and acknowledge the biblical values of those around you. That's a note to church members or people who have experiences with Jesus. You know, because sometimes when you come to an altar, maybe you've gotten in this water, you felt God's spirit, God's done amazing things. And so what you often do is you might want someone close to you. Desperately, you want them to experience what you've experienced. And I'm not saying, I don't think anybody goes in and goes, I'm going to have this conversation with somebody because I want to hurt them. I want to push them away. No, we go up to someone that we really love and care about, and we say, I trust God, but then we want to help him. And so I want to try to push you into this water, because I believe great things happen in this water. God washes away sin. And so I'm going to try to make sure that you know you need to get in there. But in doing so... Sometimes it comes off a little harsh, a little bit, whoa, okay, I get, I get what you stand for. Give me a minute here. And that's why I believe so strongly in Bible studies, and I encourage everybody to sit through a Bible study. Here's why. Because in this church, we have trained and certified Bible study teachers who will meet with you once a week. You can go to a coffee house, your house, their house, wherever. Our associate pastor, Bill Foster, right here, you see him, say, I want one of these. Get, he'll get you hooked up. What, what works in your schedule? Well, my schedule changes weekly. Great, we'll work in that. We'll work. Well, one week we'll do it. One week we'll do it on Tuesday morning. One will be Thursday afternoon. We'll work with that. Why? Because it's not like it's a catechism. We're trying to teach you the Refuge Church way or the United Pentecostal Church way. That's not it. We like to look at the word and go, okay, let's talk about Noah's Ark. Wow, why do I care about Noah's Ark? Well, there's a theme that we see that still guides salvation here in 2023. Let's talk about this. Hey, you know what? The Bible says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So why do some people baptize babies and some say, no, it's for adults? Some say it needs to be done in the name of Jesus. Others say the title is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Some people say you need to immerse in the water. Other people say you need to sprinkle with water. Well, what if there's one baptism, which way is the way? Does it matter? Well, I don't want to tell you what the Lutherans believe and the Baptists believe and the Catholics believe and the Pentecostals believe. I want to tell you what, let's just open the Bible ourselves 
and look at what God says in Scripture. Let's go ahead and just take a look at this. And you for yourself then can go, okay, based on what I see in Scripture, this is how I want to work my salvation out with fear and trembling. And so if you've never completed a Bible study, see us today. We'd love to go through that with you because the Word of God is powerful. And the Word of God is clear. And so... so I, I will encourage you as we go through this series to share this online because there are people in your circles of life right now that are asking this question. Does God have a plan for my salvation? Is it really a big deal? Is there something out there that I'm supposed to be following? So I think that these next three weeks, this week and two more, it will answer some people's questions because today I'm not teaching, well, well, my pastor, my church, my dad. No, I'm teaching, we're going to look at what thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? And so share this, share this on social media, not because I'm out trying to make a name for myself, but because I believe that this message will really speak to someone. Amen? Amen. And so scripture is going to interpret itself. Well, Hebrews 5.9 says, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now notice two key points in this passage. God, first of all, God is the author of salvation. He has this right because he's the one who purchased our salvation that gives him the right to set the parameters of the plan for our salvation. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It does not matter. He's the author. Well, I don't think he should have done it that way. It doesn't matter. He's the author. He's the one who took on flesh, paid the price, shed blood on a cross, and so he gets to write the story. And then it says, he's the author of eternal salvation to who? It does not say those who believe in him. Biblical belief is a powerful, powerful concept. You will hear some people say, all you need to do is just believe and you're saved. Now, I think that that's a wonderful concept. I believe faith, belief, is the starting point. It's a launching pad outside of the cross in Calvary. That's the real foundation. But faith, in, that's, that's a launching pad. But it doesn't stop there. Faith alone does not save us. There has to be action. There has to be. He says he's the author of eternal salvation to people who obey him. And so before we can discuss this plan for salvation, does God have a plan for your salvation, for your kids' salvation, for your family's salvation? Well, first we have to realize, is there a, what's the problem? What do I need to be saved from? You're talking about salvation. What do I need to be saved from? Because a lot of people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never even gotten arrested, never gotten, maybe never gotten drunk. I never had really bad fights, never hit anybody. I'm a, I'm a decent guy. But Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. That's where you can say, that's me. That's me. <laughs> all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So guess what that means? If you've only made one mistake in your entire life, you are a sinner. Yeah, but there's only been one. Well, number one, I would say you're lying because there's probably been a lot more than one. I know there has been in my life. But even if it's only one, you are a sinner. You fell short of perfection. And so because everyone has sinned, 
There's a price to pay for that. And the wages of sin are death. We are supposed to die because we fell short. And he told Adam and Eve, you eat of this, you shall surely die. It is a death sentence on humanity. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so because of the fact that God took on flesh, died on a cross, shed blood, he paid a price that we are supposed to pay ourselves. That's called grace. It's unmerited favor. I did not earn that. I could live perfect from here through to the day I die, and I still would not have the right to go, I've earned your grace, God. It's unmerited favor because he said, I love my humanity up. I am going to pay the price that they were supposed to pay. And Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So next time you're fighting with your spouse, just open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Say, I just wanted to show you this passage today. Just kidding. Don't do that. God's always just. He does not overlook sin. He does not ignore sin. He's a holy and just God. So if he says a price has to be paid, he can't go, well, I'll change my mind. Let's just, let's just ignore that. He says, no, no, a price has to be paid. But I love them, and I don't want them to pay the price. I am going to pay it for them. And so Jesus came not only to pay the price for our sin, but he came to be our example. And so he died on the cross and he was buried in a grave and he rose again. It's known as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, do you know that we are, as followers of Christ, Christians, Christ-like, we are also called to follow the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might be like, whoa, 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 I don't want to die. No, no, I'm out. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm good right now. No, it's, it's a little different. Stick with me. Repentance is the first step. Just as the first step in God's Old Testament tabernacle, God said, hey, I have a plan for way, way back then. He said, set up an Old Testament tabernacle. You're going you're gonna to put badger skin around it, and you're going you're gonna to go ahead and, and come into this holiest of holies. And between the wings of the cherub, I'm going to dwell with my people. And you're going to take an animal sacrifice and pour the blood on the, on the mercy seat. And I'm going to meet with them right there. But before that, step one was an altar of sacrifice where an animal was killed, innocent blood was shed. Then you'd go to a brazen laver, a place of washing and cleansing. And then you'd go into the first part of the tent where there was pieces of furniture and it was like a sweet-smelling savor as the incense filled the room. But there was even that that pointed to God's plan. Because that first step, there was a dying out. There was a blood that was shed. Well, Christ shed his blood. He had dying out. But how do we apply that to our lives? That is a dying out to this flesh. It's a, it's a change in mind. Look what the New Testament says in, in Romans 12.1. It says, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was an animal sacrifice. Now he's saying, hey, now it's your bodies. He says it's a living sacrifice, which is holy, acceptable. It's a reasonable service to God. Our lives become the sacrifice. And then Paul goes as far as to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Man, that doesn't sound fun. I don't want to die daily. 
Well, what does he mean? Well, we'll take a look at Romans 6. Paul goes on and he says, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, because of this, let's look at the personal application. Reckon ye also. I don't think he was like, reckon? Uh, it was probably a little different, but... Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Hey, just like he died, he says, now personal application, church of Rome, you got to die too. Die unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and the lust thereof. He said, you got to die out to sin and not just let it hang around and live on. But as believers, he's calling, saying, how do we obey the death, burial, resurrection? Death is a dying out to self. We got to die. We got to die daily. We got to die unto sin. We got to lay that thing down and say, I don't want that sin to continue to reign in my life. And so new life, or what the New Testament calls new birth, can only take place when there's a death to sin. And this can only happen when one responds in repentance. The Greek word for repentance is metaneo. It insinuates a, a, a turning about, a change of mind. And so I always say this, it's like a military about face. And you go like this. And it's a change of direction. Right now, you might be headed a certain way in your life. Even if you're saying, I'm not that bad of a person. It doesn't matter. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. And so if we're not living our lives wholeheartedly, consecrated, separated unto Jesus Christ, we might be walking down this path. And all of a sudden, now that metaneo happens, you hear a message maybe like this one and go, I don't want to keep just living for myself. I don't want to continue in sin. I want something to change in my life. And so I am going to go ahead and I'm going to turn. And I'm going to begin to look unto the author of my salvation. I want to obey his plan for my life. I want to start to head his direction. I want this old life to die. And I want to begin to live new unto Jesus Christ. But when I turn, I always say this. Sometimes when people repent, they expect tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and be like, wow, I'm not tempted to do anything from my old life. I, this is wonderful. I've lived a life of addiction for three decades, and I don't even want to taste anything, do anything. I, this is incredible. That probably is not going to happen. Because when I make my about face... My, I want, I, certainly I want to be closer to God. And sometimes people get frustrated in their walk with God because they go, here's where I am. That's where I want to be. But I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. And so they quit. They stop. Don't do that. This is, this is a journey with Jesus Christ. You might look around and go, well, I don't have it together like these people. Go talk to those people and you will find out they don't have it together either sometimes. We're all on this journey. And so when I change my direction, notice my location has not changed. I'm still in the same spot. I might even still struggle with the same stuff. But now what's happened is I have said, this is done. And I might still be here, but I'm not going to be here for long. Because now I'm headed that direction instead of heading that direction. 
That's what repentance is. It's more than just a good idea. It's an integral. It is a necessary part of salvation. After Jesus ascends into heaven, 120 believers waited in Jerusalem to be filled with the promise of the Holy Spirit. People around Jerusalem heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Acts 2 tells us how Peter stands up with the 11 disciples and he preaches a magnificent message all about Jesus. Peter starts by talking about salvation, and he ends by talking about salvation. The group of people probably had the same questions that some people might have today, maybe you yourself. How can we be saved? Does God have a plan for my salvation? And so Peter, he addresses that because he's just wrapping up this message. When you read Acts 2, 1 to 4, they had just been filled with the Holy Ghost. There was 120 people in that upper room. They're speaking in tongues. The people in the streets hear them. They're like, what's going on in there? These guys drunk. And Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk like you suppose. This is that, which was prophesied by the Old Testament prophet Joel. And so he connects it to Joel's prophecies. It's not a new age thing, but we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But he says, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And so he begins to preach about Jesus. And they felt something, just like many people will feel in these walls. As we preach today, it's called a conviction or a calling. God's drawing a heart to something more. And so these people go, what should we do now, if someone, if, if uh, denominations today might say, just believe on the Lord and you're saved, if that was God's plan for their salvation, do you not think Peter at that moment would have said, you don't have to do anything. Just believe on Jesus and you're going to be saved. But that's not what Peter says. Peter looks at them and he says very succinctly, he says, I'll, I'll tell you what to do. Repent and be baptized, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and then he's going to give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. He says, you're going to get the same spirit that we just got. And then he goes on and says, the promise is unto you, your children, even as many as the Lord our God will call, as many as are far off. And so, I know I butchered that Bible quiz. There's messed that up. But, but that's the thing. He says, hey, here's the plan. But it starts with one word, repent. Do you know when John, the forerunner to Christ, stepped on the scene before Jesus Christ even steps on the scene and starts his public ministry? John comes with a message. Guess what his message was? Repent. Jesus steps on the scene. He guess, guess what his message was? Luke 13, 3 and Luke 13, 5. Very rarely does Jesus repeat himself verbatim. And we see him do the exact same thing. He says, except you shall repent, you shall all likewise perish. Two verses later, he says the exact same thing, except you should repent, you should all likewise perish. Two in a row, boom, boom. Why? Because repentance was crucial. Repentance was, because the rest of the plan does not mean anything without the repentance. Without us going, there's a change of mind. There's a dying out to flesh. There's something that has to change. And so when he said, Peter says, you need, uh, what should we do? Peter's response was not just believe. Why? Because that's not what we see anywhere in Scripture. Noah needed to build a boat. Abraham needed to be circumcised. They have all these things that he lays out. Anytime God says there's covenant, and here's what I want you to do. And so that's why when you go to James chapter 2, it says, You see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Two verses later, James 2.26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
Guys, that's scripture. I mean, like he is saying faith, scripture says over and over again, faith by itself. It's not saying that it's not a necessity. It's not saying faith is not important. It's saying faith is not the only thing that saves us. There has to be works involved. Works, though, get sometimes misinterpreted as in like, oh, you guys believe you can save yourself by something you do. That's not what we're talking about with works. Works is simply meaning obedience. It's response. If Jesus says, hey, if you want to make it to heaven, you need to play this guitar. Brother Foster's going to make it. So if you want to make it, you got to play this guitar. Well, if I choose not to play that guitar... I'm not going to be saved. If I play that guitar, it does not mean that I've earned my way into heaven. God's grace reached out to me and shared his plan for his salvation. Me playing that guitar simply means I've aligned myself in obedience with the plan that he has for me. And so I didn't earn anything. It's still God's grace. It's my faith in response, but then it's that last step of obedience. And so G- Matthew records Jesus even saying, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter my kingdom, but he that doeth, that's E-T-H, meaning continues to do, not just one time, he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. And so Peter gives them this incredible formula about Repent, be baptized, and then you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Peter ends this by exhorting the people to save themselves. Now that alone is interesting. We cannot save ourselves by our own goodness or salvation. So when Peter says, save yourself, well, wait, how do I do that? I can't save myself. But what Peter was telling them to do was this. Do something with what I just told you. Respond today. Don't wait. Next week, we're going to talk about what what does it mean with water baptism. I'll tell you this. Never in Scripture do you see delayed baptisms. You don't see somebody say, I want to be baptized. Great. Let's look on the calendar. The next baptism Sunday is seven weeks from now. That's why we keep this water warm and clean at all times. Because if there's someone here right now that says, I want my sins washed away, we're going to baptize you today before you leave. And so when Peter says, save yourselves, it wasn't earn something. No, he's saying, do something with what I'm telling you. Respond today. Don't wait. And he's able to testify about this because he was the guy that starts out just a few verses earlier in Acts 2, 1 to 4, that had just received the gift of the Holy Ghost himself for the first time. But all of this starts with repentance. And too often, even in Pentecostal churches, we keep numbers of those who were baptized. We keep numbers of those who were filled with the Spirit of God. We keep attendance numbers. I wish there was a more clear way to track when someone actually repents. Because that is just as crucial. But see, I can't measure that because that's in your heart. It's between you and the Lord. You're the only one who knows when you've truly apologized and did the about face and said, I'm starting going a different direction. You're the only one that knows that. I can't measure that. Wish I could because it's a powerful moment. It starts with repentance. And I celebrate those who repent. I celebrate that. Because repentance without that 
You can't be baptized. Can't fill with the Spirit. We can't. We can't have salvation. Jesus says, "Except you repent, you're going to perish." He said that twice. So there has to be true repentance. But you know what? Well, how how do I repent? I've used this example here before. Some of you are first time guests today. I'm, I welcome you. But imagine if I walked up to you and I said, "Oh." Titus told me, to, told me to hold on to his rock bucks. I guess my son behaved downstairs for a little while. But I'm not giving it back to him. I'm going to go buy my own candy after church. And imagine if I walked up and said, Hello. It's very nice to meet you. I'm glad that you are here today. Are you enjoying yourselves? I hope that you will come back another time. You'd be like, you're stinking weirdo. Get me out of here. <laughs> because we, we don't like fake. If you do, I'll just tell you, you are in the wrong church. <laughs> I don't like fake. If you come up and ask me, are you having a good day? And I'm not, I'm not going to go, oh, yes, praise God, brother. I'm having a good day. I'm going to say, man, my day stinks right now. Can you pray with me? Because I've really struggled. And you might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to talk to somebody. You're going on and on. No, because I'm going to be real. And I think most everybody hears that that way. God created us in his image. So what would make us think that when we come before the God of glory who died on the cross for our sins, that we need to come to him and read a sinner's prayer. Or that we would have to work through a different priest when he's our high priest. No, no, when he died on the cross, the veil was torn. We just sang about it this morning, this afternoon. The veil was torn. The door swing wide. His glory, I come inside the throne room. I have access to God myself. I don't have to work through another priest. He's my high priest. And I can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain that mercy. Scripture. So I can go right into the presence of God Almighty. And I don't have to go, Thou art God. Forgive me, O thou Lord, precious God of my sinful past. And help me, thou heavenly Father. You ever think that God might be sitting there going, what is your deal? Why do you talk to me totally different than you talk to everybody else? And you ever hear those people, like they're talking to everybody, how's it going, man? Oh, good, good to see you. And all of a sudden they go up to like lead prayer or preach. Mighty God. Thou God of glory. And you're like, bro, what happened to your voice? What in the world? As if God's like, Gabriel, come here. I love his praying voice. God's probably like, who are you? That's not the voice I gave you. You don't, 
You don't have to read a prayer that I wrote. You don't have to read a prayer anybody wrote. If you talk in old English terms of 1611, go for it. If you walk around and go, thou lookest well today. <laughs> Fine. But if you go, what's up, man? God, forgive me, Jesus. Help me. I'm so sorry. I'm a knucklehead. Then you need to go to God and say, God, forgive me, man. I'm a knucklehead. You don't have to do it any way other than who you are. Because he created you and longs for that relationship with you. He loves you exactly who and the way that you are. You don't have to pray like me. And I don't have to pray like Mark. And Mark don't have to pray like Diana. Diana don't have to pray like Sarah. And Sarah don't have to pray like Chad. Because we're all different. You go to church and say, we're really, we really tolerate the differences here. We don't tolerate nothing here. I'm purposely leaving that as a cliffhanger. Praying that somebody didn't grab that clip on the live stream. KCT5, KCTV5 News. This is what the pastor said. And they just end it. And we don't tolerate. We embrace. I don't want a church of everyone just like me. I will drive myself crazy at times. We are this beautiful body of Christ. We got men and women. Oh, we're multi-generational, multicultural. I love that. I don't want every conform to the church. Please don't. Conform to God's plan and will and scripture for your life, but do it in the way who you are. Bring your individual personality to the table because you make us special. And so, so you don't have to pray when you repent. Oh, well, how am I supposed to repent? We get stressed. God did not, this is not a, an exam. Well, if you want to make it to heaven, got to pass the repentance exam. 50, choice, 50, 50 questions, some multiple choice, some short answer, some essay. You guys are already thinking about school tomorrow, like stressing. And you have to come up here and you have to say the right things. No, no, no. Repentance is... Turning back. It's God, I'm sorry. Maybe your prayer doesn't sound like mine. Mine might sound something like this. God, I've been heading a certain direction. And I'm so sorry. Because I feel like I've been living for myself. I don't know where I went wrong. But somehow I heard something today that I, 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 I just want to please you. I just, I don't even know where to start maybe. But God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for the choices that I've been making. And God, I'm asking that the blood that you shed would just cover my life and help me today as I make an about face. And I don't know where this journey might take me, but I'll tell you what, I want to start it today. I want, I want to just start walking toward you. I, I don't even know what this, I don't know. I don't even know if I know what I'm doing right now, but I know this, I love you and I want to please you. And I want to start walking toward you in a way that I have never walked toward you before in my life. 
And you know why you feel, even right now as I talk, and use, you know why you're feeling Jesus and some of you are crying? Because God is drawn to repentance. He's drawn to just, to just humility. He's drawn to people who are just themselves. You don't have to pray a certain way or a certain prayer. Right now, God is reaching to some of you. And I got more to say, but I feel like we just need to close because I feel like right now, God's reaching to some people right now in this place and online. He's reaching to people right now because he's letting you know, listen, I died on that cross for you. I shed blood for you, not to put you through a a barrage of tests, not to see if you can do it right or say the right things. God's saying, I took on flesh and I died on that cross because I love you. I love you for who you are. I, I will meet you exactly where you are on your journey, on your path called life. And if you're willing to just make an about face and, and say, I'm sorry, I'm telling you, I will forgive every one of your sins. I will forgive them. I already paid the price for them. I just want you to apply that blood to your life and we can start walking in this way and he doesn't expect you to be perfect from this day out and this day forward but he does expect that if you know what you're going to just wholeheartedly commit to him he is going to walk hand in hand with you for through for the rest of this journey called life i invite you to stand to your feet right now and nobody's going to embarrass you this is not a public thing this is not a all right now repeat after me find me no no i'm inviting you to come to an altar some people stand some people kneel down some might stay in their pews and raise their hands some might kneel down in their pews you do what you got to do right now to go into the presence of god he he tore the veil as it talks about in that song right now you have open and free access to come before the throne of jesus christ to just begin to tell him god the first step of your plan for my salvation is repentance i want to do that right now i want to find a place right now to where i can say god please forgive me god help me god wash away my sin god i don't want to continue on just for me listen you can do this if it's your first time if you've done this a million times don't ever stop i die daily i die daily i need I need God's blood. I need the blood of Calvary. This is it. This is the first step of his plan for your salvation. We'll talk about the next two coming up. But this is where it starts. He says, except you repent, you're going to perish. That's serious stuff. It starts here. Salvation starts at an altar, just like the Old Testament tabernacle. It starts at an altar of sacrifice. Your body is now the living sacrifice. It starts right here. Don't feel like you got to do it a certain way. Just close your eyes. Just begin to talk to him. Just begin to talk to him like only you can. Don't have to do it like anybody else. He loves you so much. So much. Do you thirst for drink at the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness
Yeah. 